0: Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. (music) Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan Animation Knight. Moriarty Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you, my friend? I really am.
1: Animation Black Knight like the, you're the evil knight, yeah. knight of animation i feel like Wow.
0: okay yeah
1: steel you were like
0: identifying as black now you're like oh i'm black and i'm gonna be a black i'm gonna be <laughs> the black and i'm like okay it's 2021 i could be white do?
1: knight i guess i got my shovel here you know what this is this is a snoopy snow cone machine shovel <laughs> i just like, found from in the, the drawer like, in the old, a like, coffee from the, star from the old one like, this is from... No, I don't think so. This is from like the Target reissue from like oh, when okay. the kids were little. I, that would be cool if it was the... I wonder I wonder if they're the same. And then I got my other friend here. Call. Do, do, do,
0: do. Nice. steel so that I shovel.
1: That.
0: I don't know. Is he can... back there? I
1: don't know. This is Graydon's. I borrowed it. I don't, I don't have Hold this myself. This is his. For those of you only listening, I'm holding up a Shovel Knight Amiibo. He is back there, but here, so I could look at him.
0: I wanted to grab these too. I did. Did you get these ones?
1: Let me see. No, I was looking at those on eBay last night, thinking the value shot up. Kyle's holding up the Treasure Trove Collection Specter. Who is it? Specter King. Specter King and Plague Knights. No, I don't have those amiibos. I I was thinking that the prices would have shot up on all of these, but they're still relatively reasonable. Even Shovel Knight. I think there's the gold. Shovel Knight amiibo.
0: Yeah, I have him too. I okay. have the gold Mega Man and the gold Shovel Knight. Oh,
1: the gold Mega Man! I forgot you had that.
0: Yeah, that's the cool. uh, I I buy the amiibo. I haven't bought amiibo in actually like four years, probably because I, I still need to get Richter or whoever the hell they have out there. Now oh, that's like right, I forgot Simon or whoever him. it is. Yeah, but uh, I uh, but I did buy them for a little while, and I just bought the characters like one off because I know a lot of people like to buy them all, like all of them, and I was like, that's cool, but I just bought the ones that really spoke to me. So I bought like Mario, Toad. They're so cool. Day to day. You know, uh, I think I have Kirby. Kirby's awesome. And Jigglypuff or Jigglypuff and stuff like that. Do you have little Mac?
1: I want to get little Mac.
0: No. So that's that's all the stuff that kind of came after I stopped, like during the Wii U era. That was kind of like when I um, or I guess later than that. I mean, that's not that's kind of when Amiibo came out. Yeah, yeah. When from the new fighters that were added, like I want to get ice climbers oh right that i love awesome. I, I i don't have them i don't have a little mac i have to get a few others as well but
1: reuse in there right
0: cloud yep. is there a cloud
1: i think there, there is a, i think a cloud one yeah. as well so that would yeah,
0: be a yeah. cool one to get So yeah it's see the thing about amiibo and i've said this so many times is they're just so high quality Like everything about them is so high quality i don't care about the connectivity with games at all i just would love the ability to buy all of the Mega Man bosses like this
1: all the I ones that
0: mean, yes, that would be cool. I would buy them all. I would buy them all. That would everyone. be amazing.
1: Yeah, they seem to kind of taper off the, the crate. Now the Metroid Dread ones are out, I think. Those look really cool. But yeah, they seem to kind of... St- when Disney Infinity kind of went the way of the Dodo, seemed like Nintendo took a cue from that for some reason. But the Disney Infinity ones are amazing too. They're beautiful yeah. design and beautiful quality. So I'm going to keep him... Now he's Vile from Mega Man X.
0: Oh yeah, there Just you go. cover That's his perfect. horns up yeah right yeah, and very i'll nice leave reference. him front and center for the convo so how you doing my friend i'm good um i'm, I'm shot dude i mean we're <laughs> we're go- i'm totally shot we're going hard we're getting all this stuff done you really are going hard and you guys. uh we're, we're it's fine it's no it's no big deal but we just have a lot to do i just feel very overwhelmed right now but uh it's funny i see the sign that i got you in the back of your shot you see that we have and we have, and we have uh those i have one i got one made for each of the logos and they're getting made they're they're beautiful wooden logos from the shows and i'm getting hung up today in my living room oh you are they're coming today to do it professionals coming over because they're huge and they're heavy and i want and so they're gonna be perfectly spaced and lined up That's and stuff awesome. like that it's gonna, be, it's gonna be dope oh
1: you gotta post yeah. that up and you gotta let me know how they do it so i could take a cue for hanging this guy yeah, yeah he's gonna go right in the back i think there's a tim Biscup print back there He's good. That's going to go right in the bag. It's gorgeous. So heavy. It's like probably that's got to be 10 pounds, right? Yeah, something like that. Something I would like say, that. yeah, I'm bad
0: at that. I never know what anything. It was weighs, a nice gift. Cool, man. Glad you uh, enjoyed that. But otherwise, yeah, I'm doing well. I wanted to give a quick shout out to my evolving point of view on Kickstarter. That's what I wanted to do today. Oh. For many years, I was against Kickstarter. And the reason that this comes up, there's a reason because, of course, Shovel Knight is one of the most famous Kickstarter games ever. But of course. People will remember if they followed me for a long time that I was vociferously against Kickstarter and remained that way for a long time because I felt like I'm like, why, why are you funding someone's project like this? I understand buying the game when it's done. Right. But it seems dangerous and it seems stupid. And it seems like these people don't know a lot of these people don't know what they're doing. And and it turned out that that was true. Millions of dollars lost in games that never were created or whatever, but over time, there's no doubt that a lot of really great stuff has come from Kickstarter. So two things. Number one, I had a guy on um, Sandi Bry, who's this guy in Britain who's writing a book on Vita, the, the definitive 400-page hardcover book. Oh, shit. For Vita. And th- so I interviewed him or whatever, and that was the first time I ever Kickstarted something. So I, I made a Kickstarter account, and I Kickstarted the book or whatever. When was this? So God. I wanted to... St- I'm sorry? When did, when was this? When did you kickstart this project? Earlier this week. Oh, wow. And then, cool. Recently. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I went even further with it. So G.I. Joe, or I'm sorry, Hasbro, you probably know, does a thing called HasLab, mm-hmm, which is basically their version of Kickstarter. Yep. And they're doing right now a Sky Striker. I don't know if you saw that, a, a beautiful no. G.I. Joe plane. It's awesome. It's 200 and something dollars. Oh, so I, I I got two of those. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> yeah. I kickstarted that twice. I was like, this will be... If they make this, this will be so valuable that right. not that not getting one and just putting it in the closet would be the stupidest thing ever, you know. And That's then obviously awesome. taking one out too, because the audience doesn't know. I mean, I, I hope to have it in in the coming weeks. So I don't think I've said it, but I have custom made shelving coming in here, awesome. made for in my office, made for my GI Joe. It's be all lit up and stuff. It's gonna be. Like, I don't know. I gotta get. I guess I have to kind of figure out the shot, but on this wall okay two rows of lit shelves it's got all the leds and and everything right okay and then we're gonna put the couch here and like maybe a little table here and then maybe a tv panel here or something. i don't know so i gotta kind of figure it out but beautiful yeah so anyway that's what's on my mind i just wanted to give a, a shout out to crowdsourcing i mean people always thought that there was a bit of a contradiction or not people some people thought that there was a contradiction of my support in patreon and not in kickstarter but my Argument with that was the Patreon is just a subscription service. If I don't come through, you know immediately. I can't go more than thirty days without you having an option to opt in or opt out. That's right. Kickstarter can take many years. Right. People th- right. people are still waiting with their hands on their ass for a lot of shit. All sorts of games. Yeah. Everything. So uh, anyway, Dave, Speaking of Kickstarter and speaking of Woo. great games to come from it, today's topic is a long time coming. It's Shovel Knight, which was launched in 2014 on PC wii u and nintendo 3 or uh, 3ds and then it came to ps3 ps4 vita xbox one 2015 and then switch in 2017 a lot of dlc packs three of them in particular i think some people are confused about why they spend so much time on those we'll talk about that obviously later but there is no proper sequel yet although at the time we're recording this and publishing this there will be that new shovel night treasure what, what is it called Dig treasure dig or whatever oh the newest uh, thing yeah i just heard yeah. about this so that's coming out soon, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. It's the Shovel Knight received universal acclaim, according to review aggregator Metacritic. IGN editor Colin Moriarty awarded the game a 9 out of 10 rating, calling it arguably the best game released so far in 2014. Uh, and I actually will say uh, the reason I read that out is because I voted for this game at IGN as my last game of the year vote uh, before moving, because 2014... First of all, 2014 was soft, if people remember video games. Soft year for games. But the second thing is, is that... Uh, I actually straight up voted for this as my game of the year in in 2014. Shovel Knight is a game that is incredibly important to me. Now, I need to be honest. I know Sean Velasco and those guys personally. They're friends of mine. And indeed, if you listen to how they concocted getting Shovel Knight out to the world, they they talk about this specifically on the 8-4 podcast several years ago. They talk about how they targeted me as like intentionally – as like the guy that they thought sight unseen would be like, Oh my God, what is this game? And they knew they, How they, they weren't And I that? didn't, and I didn't find that out until later. I mean, they told me that later, but they talked. they go into great detail on the podcast about like, they went, they found this guy named Colin Moriarty he had all, he worked at IGM, but he had all of these FAQs. He wrote for all of these games that seemed to be the inspiration. So they kind of triangulated and found me and people might remember, I re, I revealed this game to the world. So, uh, on IGN, I had the world premiere for it. So how crazy I have to, is that? Um, I have to admit that. So I know David D'Angelo, I know Waz, I know all those guys over there, and I just sure. want to say that there's a obviously a major conflict of interest in, involved in this. But nonetheless, I think I can remove myself from that conflict to say that this is one of the very best Absolutely. retro games ever made, and a retro inspired games ever made. And I'm I'm really curious to know, Dig, what you think of this game.
1: Love this game. So excited to do this episode with you. I mean, this is one of the topics that's, you know, really uh, been on the list since the beginning. So since almost four years. We knew we were going to talk about this game eventually. We knew this day was coming. It's so funny to talk about Yacht Club because I'm such a big fan of them and I'm such a big fan of Shovel Knight. Not to start this off on a negative tone, it might be the only negative thing we even talk about today. Every time I hear of a new entry into the Shovel Knight catalog, like a new offshoot game, I get so disappointed. That they're not just doing something new. I have to say that. You know, every time I hear of a new DLC or a new Shovel Knight related offshoot game companion piece, I'm like, oh, come on, do something new, you know, because they're, right. they're so brilliant. And, you know, obviously these guys and gals have it in them. But it was so cool to go back and think about my beginnings with this game because knowing it came out in the summer of 2014 here. I didn't play it right away. I think to my best recollection, I played it with Graydon, my son, who was four back then. But he was already a big retro gamer by the time. Like for a year, he was already playing Mega Man and, and the Mario games. and he was playing, And he was playing on the Wii and then the Wii U. So we got this game, I think, in the winter of 2014, turning into the beginning of 2015. So somewhere in December, January. Maybe he even got it for Christmas on the Wii. Wii U, actually. And then that's how, that's how we started it. That was our journey with this game. Graydon and I played together, fell in love with it. And there's just so much to say. It got me thinking about so many different things. It got me thinking about the advent of the return to retro gaming and that whole craze. And that this wasn't the first piece in that. But it was such an important piece of that because of the indie dev studio and the small team and the connection with Nintendo and Nintendo actually putting out a a amiibo. Like there's so much to say about this game. And just revisiting it and going through the entire game for the second time all the way through. Just there's so many different points of the conversation that I that I can't wait to hit and touch on with you. And you know, that's an important piece of it, is your history and your connection to this game, Kyle. Because if you go on YouTube right now, as I did. I listened to your IGN review of this game, you little devil, you. So, you oh, know, and that was what? Interesting. You know, eight eight years ago
0: or, or yeah, whatever suppose. it is.
1: Yeah. So there's just, it's such a great, it's going to be such a great conversation. I can't wait to just lavish this game and praise. And it, it just really deserves it. And one of the most important video games, I think, of the last 10 years. And, you know, we could talk about Yacht Club. We could talk about the game. We could talk about the connection to Nintendo, which is pretty fascinating. A pretty fascinating aspect of this whole thing. And just what makes it so great. You know, like I was watching the Beatles. This is, this seems like a non sequitur, but it's connected. I was watching the Beatles documentary on Disney Plus. I'm not all the way through it yet, but I'm watching that thing, Get Back, the Peter Jackson Beatles documentary, watching those guys. The footage is fascinating to see them so young and to see them at work. And it just got me to thinking, like, how difficult is it to articulate? something brilliant, especially something like the Beatles, right? It's like, there is no way to even put in words, even after you watch those, that hours of footage and watch how they clicked and how they connected and their individual talents and coming together as a team. It's like, how do you articulate brilliance? It's very difficult. And I can't wait to try to break that down with this game and just kind of talk about why it's so great because it really, and you know, how it's withstood the test of time over the last seven, eight or nine years. So it's 2021 yeah. now, dating back to 2014. I think it's a great, I think it's going to be a great conversation.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I wanted to start with this letter from Kabuto Kishi, who talks about how cool Yacht Club has been in his own experience. And I wanted to mimic or echo that rather. Sure. He says, hey, Moriarty bros, I have less of a question, more of a brief story. I played Shovel Knight a few years back on Vita and just loved the game. Just for the hell of it, I wrote Yacht Club a letter and told them how much I enjoyed the game and that I really loved the design of Polar Knight. I'm a sucker for Viking archetypes. And they actually <laughs> replied back and mailed me a Polar Knight pin. It just what? really stood out to me as a kind gesture. They're known to, to be a really cool studio that does nice things like that. And they did something like that for me. I uh, got an art book that I wrote the intro to their, to their official art book. And I got them to sign it for... oh my god so awesome um which i gave him for christmas i think so yeah yeah so they are very down very nice guys i haven't seen them in a couple years but i emailed with them recently just to congratulate them on going gold with uh their shovel knight spinoff they're publishing it they didn't develop it and of course they published the wonderful game cyber shadow which i had been i have been asking you if you've seen that i mean that game is fucking nuts like, almost as good as Shovel Knight, I think. That's, and
1: I got to play this game.
0: Dig, dig it's, it's Ninja Gaiden meets Mega Man, I mean, straight up. Like, it, it, imagine Ninja Gaiden, but with Mega Man enemies, basically, is, is what it is. And it's so it's so good. You're going to love it. You're absolutely going to love it. I remember I, I being just,
1: initially disappointed that they weren't developing it, that they were just publishing it, you know, you know charting that, the course of uh, yeah. that thing over production. But I can't wait to play it. And that now, it, it always looked amazing. But I was like, oh, there was always that bit of me that I lamented like, oh, they're not really doing the, the game. They're just putting it out. But yeah, yeah well, the, I can't support, wait to play it.
0: It's cool because they, they found a game and I think they'll continue to find games that are very similar in spirit. Mechanical Head, the guys that made Cyber Shadow was really just one guy. And That's so insane. they so they made so they really gave him all of the I think the support that was necessary to get that game out. Sure. But I like I can already see what they're doing because the. Cyber Shadow has a feat system that looks exactly like the the menus and the feats from the Shovel Knight game. And so I feel like that's going to be like their calling card on their published games, which will be pretty, pretty cool. We have to see more because they haven't published anything else since, but a- at the awesome. time we're recording this anyway. So, Shovel Knight, we have this game about um, a Shovel Knight and his, I don't know, partner and in love interest, I guess, Shield Knight, and this Enchantress. And the order of no quarter and Shovel Knight kind of being lured out of retirement after this painful situation, I guess, and looking for Shield Knight. I'm curious what you think about that intro screen or that intro uh, stage, rather. I love that games started to do this. This wasn't a thing that really was in the 8-bit world. Mega Man X was the first game I remembered in my experience doing something like this, where before you even get to the world map or the stage select screen or whatever it might be you have like this experience and shovel knight does that with this really cool stage that introduces so many of the beautiful elements of the game The it it shows off the multi-layered parallax scrolling which i'm obsessed with this in this game the really bright blues and greens you have these waterfalls and these caverns and probably my favorite thing is the the castle Lingering in the background and most shots as it's moving around and it has those impossible turrets that I love. It looks like a Castlevania castle. It's it's just absolutely perfect, no doubt. An ode to Castlevania. Just like so many things in this game are odes to, and I'm sure I talked about that in the IGN review, although I have not listened to it since it went up eight years ago. But I'm sure I talk about how there's just an there's an ode to Ducktales and Zelda Two and Ninja Gaiden and Mario Three and so much more and. So I think that that's a little, lo- and of course, Castlevania with the sub weapon system and Ninja Gaiden there too. But what did you think about the introduction and getting your hands on it for the first time in this stage? It's a cool place to learn how the game works. And uh, I'm quite enamored with the color palettes they chose and everything else. I just think Shovel Knight's blue inherently pops so much. It's beautiful. Blue is my favorite color. And that that shade of blue, I'm, I'm like that electric blue almost is like really, real. it's like quite electric, but like a little sheen, more sheen than that. But, I'm quite attracted to it. So what did you think about this opening scene and getting to know the Black Knight and getting to know this kind of the situation about going to the Tower of Fade and this idea of there being these corrupt knights that you have to go encounter and, and confront? Talk to me about that.
1: It's so cool, man. I love the way this game starts. I mean, automatically, you're you're bombarded with nostalgia, right? Like you turn on the game title screen. The music is epic, obviously. The music is automatically like you're just dialed back into the 8 bit video game generation and the best of those games. So you turn on the game, sights and sounds, your senses are kind of smacked with this overwhelming sense of nostalgia. And you're right, the color palette, very vibrant, really pops. But you got the title screen, you got the profile select screen, music's already coming at you, and you're already, it's evoking classic Konami, classic Capcom, classic Tecmo. You're you're already getting that. You're already getting everything that this game is fed by and inspired by. And then you're just tossed right into the action. And you get it because it's not only the graphics, it's not only the colors, it's not only calling up all of those nostalgic games that we grew up with in the 8 and 16-bit generation, but we're getting a taste of the mechanics, which is a really important part of the conversation with this game. We're getting a little bit of the platforming, the obstacles. We're getting an introduction to the mechanics, the various enemy types, the way the checkpoint system is going to work, the treasure collecting, even mini bosses and stuff like that. We're getting a little bit of everything and managing and you know, eventually we'll get to manage and utilize our relics and our menu and the simple magic system all the way down to boss fights when we have our first encounter, as you said, with, with Black Knight and how that whole thing is going to work and how the whole rhythm of the game is going to work. And you're already, even in this first thing, before you get to that Super Mario 3-esque map screen, which is another delightful touch calling up you know, mem- warm memories, is that you're already getting a sense of everything that this game is driven by, everything that, that fueled the creation of this game and inspired it, But at the same time, in the same breath, it's very inventive. It's bringing a lot of its own unique touches to the formula. It's not just borrowing. And you already get that in the first five minutes of this game. It's like it's going to borrow from everything that we grew up loving, but it's also going to bring something new to the conversation. And the fact that you could do that in a a five-minute experience and then carry that experience throughout the game is a pretty amazing feat. I mean, that's unbelievable to be able to pull that off.
0: Certainly. I enjoyed getting to know the game again because it had been a while since I played it. Probably, I think the last time I played it was probably when I platinumed it when it came to Vita. So it's probably been six years. I probably plugged it in and played it here and there, but I definitely didn't play it all the way through at any given time. It's been a long time. Now, to get that trophy, you have to beat, you know, to get those trophies, you have to really beat the shit out of the game. And I did. This time, I just kind of played it over a couple nights on my Vita very casually And actually, James Ketchum wrote in and asked, quick question for the bros, which platform was your most ideal to play this on since it hit so many? And he said, Mm -hmm. Colin, I assume Vita. But Dagan, where did you land? Where where did you play it this last time?
1: Yeah. So the first time Wii U, and then since then, we've gotten it on the PS4. But you know where I played it this time? I was wondering what you were going to think of this. I played it on the DS. Actually, Mm. I have the case right here, actually. Played it on my DS uh, 2D XL. And I really enjoyed it. You know why? I liked having the Relic menu. Just that via touchscreen as I'm playing.
0: Sure, I yeah, really cool.
1: thought that was a fluid. Not sure how intentional that was to make that su- such an appealing part of the gameplay, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed playing the the 2DS, the two DS, the two DS XL in particular. I like it a lot, but it actually hurts my hand. my My left hand goes numb after I play it for a couple. Of hours just because of the way I'm holding it, but other than that 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 you know that has nothing to do with the game at all. I really enjoyed my experience on that. Where did where did you play it this last time out?
0: Yeah, Vita was where I went again yeah, and okay. I've played it on PS4, I played it when it came out on PC, Wii U, I played the 3DS version. So, I've played it pretty much everywhere for review at that time and then again just for the trophies later on. It's very comfortable on Vita. It works great there. And what I was really happy when I downloaded it, I totally had forgotten that they had kind of folded everything in and re-uploaded the game. It used to just be called Shovel Knight. Now it's called Shovel Knight Treasure Trove, I think. And it's got the DLC. No, all Shovel of, of Hope, right? In, Is it Shovel but, of Hope? Maybe it's something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's got like the, all the DLC already bundled in. Yes. Like the, the, that they've been releasing over the years. I so, wanted to you know, ask so, you
1: about that. Was that like a nod to Star Wars and calling it a new hope later on? Because they didn't call it Shovel of Hope upon release, correct?
0: No, I remember them just calling it. I remember them just calling it Shovel Knight. And and, yeah, they like started playing around with the names. And so it's cool to be exposed, like you said, to some of the different expectations. I mean, obviously, I think the first thing you encounter when you play the game is, oh, this this is copying DuckTales. And I don't know that you can possibly get away from that. I mean, that is obvious. But it's interesting because DuckTales, if you think about Scrooge in that he didn't really attack with melee it was all the pogo stuff right very reminiscent of mario right so with this it kind of adds a ninja gaiden element to it where you swing but you also pogo and it also adds a castlevania-esque or ninja gaiden-esque element with the sub weapons later on right and it adds a ninja gaiden or castlevania element with the knockback the severe knockback in the game which is a huge element of the platforming and then they add the Mario element, the Super Mario 3 element with the maps and the Hammer Brothers walking around the map and all the different things. And and then when you get into the towns, what do you see? You see Castlevania 2 and you see Zelda 2. Yes. And in fact, I was curious about this, Dagan. There is a an animation. I would love to know if this is true, but th- this catches my eye because I'm so obsessed with Castlevania 2. <laughs> There's an animation of a, pe- you, you know, the Peacock NB- NPC. Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. An- she walks like the priest walks in the churches in Castlevania too, like to a T. And you put you're those things about. together. They are, I, I have to imagine that they and, and I don't think any room any imagination of where these I don't think anything's too deep or too nerdy for these guys, I guess is what I'm saying. No, absolutely. And so what did you think about that that once we get into the world, they just, they had cause they had options on how to structure it, obviously. Sure. They could have gone full Mega Man, which I think would have been interesting, but they don't. They could have gone more linear like uh, Castlevania one or Ninja Gaiden. They could have gone somewhat non-linear, like Castlevania three. And what they ch- ended up trying to do was going with Mario three, where you have like two or three options at a time. But that's it. And I like this structure. I think it works. I'm interested to know what the Mega Man version of this would have looked like if they had a stage select screen, because I feel like obviously the Mega Man influence here comes from the order of no quarter. That's the Mega Man influence on the bad guys, absolutely. But great call. How do you feel about the choice they made in terms of the way they laid it out with the Mario Three option as opposed to the others that were before them?
1: Yeah, I think kind of blending all those inspirations into one game just makes so much sense to create something unique. You know, draw from all these things that we grew up with that they were inspired by. Not only that, but that were very successful and famous video game models unto themselves, and then create a stew. Based on all those things, I mean, they did that even with Shovel Knight. Like, with Shovel Knight, with your protagonist character, you get a little bit of, like, King Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins. You get Vile from Mega Man X. You get, with that look, you get Scrooge McDuck, of course, from DuckTales, as you mentioned, and you get a little bit of sprinkled-in Link from Zelda Two, with the downthrust mechanic, and maybe, of course, of dash of Mega Man, a dash of Castlevania. So you're taking all these ingredients... And I love the way that kind of blended it all together. Like you get that Super Mario 3 map screen so that there's some autonomy, a little bit of autonomy. I mean, there's some, within reason, there's some direction that you could do some levels before others. You get those encounterable roaming boss characters on the screen, as you said, very Hammer Brothers-esque. And you, so you get a little taste of all that. It does make me wonder though, had it been more of like a select your robot master menu you know that that could have worked as well but i like i like this because it takes a little bit again it's calling up all of these inspirations and all of these things that are immediately reminding us of some of the finest games that we grew up with and our best gaming memories as kids and just throwing it all in the pot together which is so fun you know you you get you feel a little bit like Mega Man. you get a little bit of those castlevania mechanics everything's based around this super mario brothers 3-esque menu and then it feels a little like ninja Gaiden. it feels a little like i know you you son of a gun you mentioned faxanadu in your review and in your initial mm-hmm. review years ago actually get a little bit of that and Definitely. i think you're right i don't think there's anything off the table as far as like very broad touches all the way down to the finest details the like way the character looks the way a little bit of a, a level feels a a relic or a sub, you know, a sub item type thing, a mini boss, everything you could see, like, that's one of the most delightful aspects of this game. As a retro gamer, you could def it definitely dials up specific memories and triggers as like, all right, like, I see that little, sh- the little thing where you have to kind of nudge across the screen, ladder to ladder, that feels like Super Mario 2. Or, mm-hmm. you know, Plague Knight's level, The Flames, Contra. Automatically, you think Contra. So you're that's one of the little Easter eggs for an old school gamer. Like, that's one of the most fun touches is you're just getting little pieces of that, little call-ups. And you do wonder, was it, you know, was that a direct inspiration? And I love what they say in just hearing the devs talk in a couple of different interviews. Like, they say something that was really fascinating to me, Call They say, like, they weren't, Besides Zelda 2 and the downthrust mechanic and the Super Mario 3 influence with the map screen, the really big overarching details. Besides that, they say like they were kind of walking the razor's edge between not necessarily thinking of anything consciously and calling up everything they knew subconsciously. Like there was like they were thinking of nothing and everything they ever grew up with at once. You know, and you could see that in the game. Like they, though, I think those inspirations because they're such nerdy retro gamers, and they had such a distinctive vision for what they wanted this game to feel like. That they they had all of those things kind of in their back pocket. It was going to find its way in because this is a game. This is a retro feeling game, obviously designed by avid, passionate retro gamers, and that's kind of in every pixel of this thing. Through you know, pound for pound,
0: I totally agree and i remember talking to them and thinking like this is obviously this or this is obviously that and they're like well no this is this and this is this or you're overthinking that but i'm sometimes skeptical because you look at the subweapon systems for instance yeah and it's like the fireball is a dagger the anchor is the axe they have the they have they have the invincibility thing which is makes the same type of noise as the gold that you, you know the gold bottle in in castlevania yes There are a lot of things that are so heavy nods that I'm a little surprised they don't lean into them more because I feel like subconscious are not there. Really cool elements of the game. One thing I wanted to compliment before we get into some of the deeper elements is I got to compliment the campfire scene. Just that one scene. The dawn campfire scene when Shovel Knight wakes up is some of the most beautiful pixel art and color selection I've ever seen in a video game. The yellows and the oranges, the green trees, the bright the brightening sky. Just the dream sequence of him, you know, the catch her dream sequences are really cool. There's so a lot of there's a lot of heart here, but I wanted to give a shout out to that before I forgot. What do you think about before we get into some of the stages, the design decisions from a gameplay perspective? So mm-hmm. we talked about the design decisions from uh, a presentation perspective, Mario three. We talked a little bit about the combat. But what do you like what do you think about the idea of like no lives? Checkpoints. But checkpoints are based on this monetary system in which you are kind of penalized if you die and you can get the money back but you might not and so you can really start losing a lot of money. Money becomes the penalty. I think that this is a really clever thing too and it's antithetical to the way games used to work. My one complaint about Shovel Knight and it's not a complaint a lot of people share I don't think is that I think Shovel Knight if anything is too easy. And agreed. I wish I know that there's you can obviously put yourself up to certain constraints and there's new game plus and all of that, but I feel like the game, if anything, could have benefited from being harder or longer. And ooh, oh. <laughs> oh, 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 but I feel like at the same time, the difficulty level is probably perfect for the, the average gamer. I feel like they probably were able to whittle that down to a fine. To, to, to the exact fine state that it should have been for the average gamer, maybe not us. But what do you think about the design decisions of no lives, but plentiful checkpoints of the money system and buying your items and also about finding your sub weapons? You have to find the sub weapon in each stage and buy it from the guy in the treasure chest or find him back in town. There are some collectibles like music sheets that you bring back to the excited loot player. Yeah, there are a lot. There are a lot of really cool elements. I'm just curious what you think about the general structure of your play.
1: You know, You made me think of one thing because I was thinking the same thing. If I had anything negative to say about the game, it would be that it's a little too easy, especially for like a seasoned old school retro gamer, right? Where we're used to some really vicious difficulty back in the old eight bit days and 16 bit days. But it is another thing that you got to kind of nod to and give credit to Yacht Club for is that the game is accessible. They built in a certain amount of accessibility to still make it appealing to old school gamers but make it sort of welcoming and approachable to people that might not necessarily be familiar, too familiar with that genre. Unlike something like Cuphead, which I also give an enormous amount of credit to because it takes a certain amount of balls to make something that difficult. especially when you want to sell copies, right? But Yacht Club really did a nice job with that, I think, in making it accessible. And I think upon my second complete playthrough it does get a lot easier now don't get me wrong i was still cursing out loud at the game here and there but for the most part those were short-lived and further between than the first my first time around my first go around with the game you know you would still I, even the most difficult boss or the one you found the most hard you would get done in three or four tries but there, there's still like that, that impatience it still fuels a little bit of that old school uh video 8-bit anger which is which is kind of cool that's part of the feel and i love the way they just like with just the same as they do with the graphics and the music they're incorporating the best of everything that they were inspired by and it gives the game a very satisfying feel overall the combat with just your regular shovel strike the pogo mechanic which was always an amazing feeling thing in, in a video game, especially an old school video game, the way you collect treasure, the way you kind of accrue money to buy things, the platforming, the way the platforming is very carefully stepped up and becomes more difficult. You know, first you're pogoing through rock, then you're pogoing through rock that you have to break twice. Then you're pogoing through sand, which you just fall right through. It's very mm-hmm. simple at its you know at its core, but it's very, very clever in the way that it just introduces you to a little bit more and a little bit more. And here's another increment to, you know, built in and another layer. As you get better, it's get gets a little harder. It's very it's stepped very carefully, like some of the best video games I've ever played, maybe among the best I've ever played as far as the overall gameplay experience. Right. And you know, the way and the way that certain weapons are really useful against certain bosses and the way later on you get the propeller dagger and that opens the air dash, you know, as we, as we've known previously and the the way that opens up the game and creates a whole nother level of satisfaction and really just really joyful gameplay that makes you want to go in there and have fun and experience it. And the way it balances frustration and fun, you know, the way it, it gives you enough of a difficult enough difficulty to enjoy it, but it's not too hard and it's not too easy. It's kind of somewhere in between. It would be nice for their next game, whether it's a Shovel Knight game or not, to be, you know, maybe a throwback to like, I don't know, a really difficult 16-bit game, for instance, and just see what they could do with that because they obviously have, they're obviously masters at making this type of old school retro game. So give us something, you know, give us a different feel. Maybe now that they're, they're famous and they're famous for what they've done so successfully, maybe now they take a shot, take a risk.
0: I know that they had lofty goals. They talked about them publicly, that they were like they envisioned a 16 bit game, a 64 bit game and so on and so forth. I don't know what their plan is now because obviously they're they're much more successful than they had anticipated. The other idea that they had was doing a robot master design contest style thing for the next group of nights, which I, I really encourage them to do, which is the way. They used to do it in Japan and Mega Man with Mega Man after yeah, Mega was Man
1: amazing. 1. Oh, so cool.
0: So you would let the audience basically design all the night, the bad guy knights and then they would d- redesign them to, the, to fit, you know, their style and their motif. And that's the way every Mega Man boss after Mega Man 1 was designed, believe it or not. So this gets so us cool. into, I think, the heart of the matter, which is from William Pistol. He wrote it. He wrote it and said, let's just cut straight to it. Oh, my. Who's goodness. your favorite boss? Oh. My personal favorite is Specter Knight and love that they chose him as one of the spinoff characters. Thanks for what you do. Dave, just quick answer, because I want to go through each one of them. Sure. But who is your favorite? Just give me a quick answer. You know, let's not get into it, but who, who's the one that sticks out to you?
1: I have to, I have to pick just one. I'm going Spectre Knight.
0: Specter Knight? Love him. Yeah, so a lot of people love him too. So you, you you share William. And obviously I think he's one of the more attractive ones. Tinker Knight is my my favorite guy. I and actually. It. Hold on a sec. What do you got there? I have this uh I don't know if this is coming through, but it's like
1: Oh, a, that's so cool. Is it is it a perler?
0: yeah yeah that's, that's so it is. cool yeah so digging and i can't see each other very well because it reduces our bandwidth so that it stays steady for you're the report,
1: pixelated but... this it fits the theme of the show
0: right exactly it's perfect um yeah so we'll, we'll get to those both of those characters we'll get to specter Knight sooner but i wanted to go through each of them in the order that you're really supposed to fight them i i think sure although you have some options i think this is pretty much the way you're supposed to go through so let's start with king knight yellow and green castle purple skies banners symbols fighting enemies and helicopter rats and those really cool eagle enemies that shoot fire and then they just do that really casual SWAT animation which (laughs) is super cool with their claw very casual dude the fight is straightforward enough but this brings in and and this is i want to just get into what sean mason writes in because it's available in every and, and and evident everywhere but it's immediately evident when you fight king knight he says Hey, C&D, Shovel Knight is easily one of my favorite games of all time. The gameplay is superior to so many other games in that genre. You can see the love that the developers put in this game with all the small and intricate details and the characters and dialogue. When I initially booted up the game in 2014, I didn't think a game in the style of Shovel Knight would have witty dialogue that would make me audibly laugh, but I was wrong. So my question, what are some of the more memorable, memorable bits of dialogue in the game, whether it be between Shovel Knight and or a knight or just a random NPC? So I wrote down a bunch of quotes as I was playing the game. But he King Knight says an interloper is in our midst. <laughs> he gone from our throne room knave. To me, it begins to show that every word is used judiciously. There's like no waste. It's it's quite impressive. Every character has a really interesting, I don't know, style to them, and it's evident that Shovel Knight knows them all personally in some way at some point. Especially some more personally than others, which is which is neat. So what did you think about the first? of the order of no quarter that we encounter King Knight and his rather straightforward fight in which when you beat him, his crown flies off his head, which I love (laughs) that animation too. Talk to me a little bit about King Knight. The
1: ultimate insult against the ultimate regal, royal, arrogant. I love this, this rogues gallery of villains, you know, the enchantress's sort of loyal army. And these are the, these are the officers and they all, they're, they do. They're like, they have such wonderful personality and they're a great, assembly of different personalities that are all fighting on the same side. So much fun. I love King. I love Pride More Keep, King Knight Stage, because it really does feel like a proper level one. Again, just in that very clever introduction, getting you comfortable, getting your sea legs about you in the game. It's a really nice intro to different some different enemy types and just to the platforming in general and the way it's going to flow. Collecting treasure, the checkpoints, using, if you want to play... You know, fast and free. You could destroy the checkpoints for a little extra treasure if you're feeling comfortable. Yeah. I love those little simple mechanics that just build up to make such a really great experience. There's and the, you know, there's another important thing to say about this game, Call. I think there's just enough to do in the shopping, leveling up your simple magic capabilities, the meal tickets, the relics, and just basically all the main Sort of battle maneuvers and moves at Shovel Knight's disposal. I think there's just enough to do in the game to keep you satisfied, but not overwhelm you. Again, and this is a great. I I played King Knight first too. Although maybe you could go to Specter Knight first. I don't remember.
0: But yeah, I think you can if you want.
1: King Knight's a proper way to start because it's a it's a it's a great introduction into just getting your getting comfy before you move on to the next thing. And King Knight's all you know. King Knight's a lot of fun. You know, he's that pompous. Character and knocking his crown off is like the obvious, the obvious move, right? It's like, yeah, this guy's uh, a little too cocky. You got to kind of introduce a little reality to this guy. And I think who's the um, Jay Kaufman? I guess produces mo- produced most of the music for the game. Must dude must be a genius. You know, he, he's an old soul, obviously. But I heard or read somewhere that he wrote a lot of the dialogue for the game as well. So besides being a musical accomplished musician, he's a pretty, pretty good writer because there is a lot of personality in that writing.
0: There, oh my God. I'm, I'm absolutely floored by it. I think I was floored by it at the time, but more so than, than ever and really paying closer attention to it. So we had brought up Spectre Night and this is your favorite and many people's favorite. He is at the, the graveyard, the the yard, the lick yard. Oh, oh. and this stage probably has the most notable catch which is the the lights going out. Oh, and this reminds me a lot of Bright Man stage in Mega Man 4 which is a a famous stage in Mega Man 4. Good call. In Mega Man Total, I mean that was a that's up there with like Gravity Man and others that t- totally bend the game. Sure. In ways that we've never seen before. Gravity Man later on. But I'm sorry, not Gravity Man. Um Galaxy Man later on wow can how can you get those two people? <laughs> so i really love the stage like the way the stage looks in the silhouettes now the silhouettes come out even better in the in the tower at the end when yes. there's this awesome thing where it's raining and like you're fighting it is absolutely beautiful bringing the stuff to bear gorgeous and i love the the, the lights out and the use of lightning to, to see and and for the platforming and stuff but the enemies are cool too i like the the big skeleton with the lantern that's swinging around. You got a lot of trees and rocks. You got the frogs coming in and out of them. The ghosts that you have to kind of deal with, Mar- you know, Mario type ghosts that are pretty persistent. And I love the quote here too, from Spectre Knight: "When you reach him, this is no place for the living mortal. You shall be summoned when it is time." So, so cool! Really great writing. Cool. And the pl- the fight is awesome too. It's one of those. Re- it's a very Mega Man like fight in that it repeats and. But it repeats it. It's not a pattern, but there's only certain things that he'll do. It's not it's not one of those things that's very uh, dynamic. where it's reacting to you more. And so he's not incredibly difficult to fight, but it's a really cool battle nonetheless with all the different elements. Him throwing his scythe disappearing and reappearing and then the lights going on and off and the enemies appearing uh, to kind of the frog enemies to make things a little bit more difficult. What do you make of Spectre Knight, who I know is your favorite? What, talk to me a little bit about this.
1: Yeah, great atmosphere in this level. Love it. Nighttime. Spectre Knight himself is so cool because, you know, he looks like a night version of the Angel of Death, right? He's got the giant scythe, he's got the hooded robe. He just looks cool. And I love the little theme of the night mask. That's even though the character designs are so vastly different from each other, you have that, con- that you have that constant repeated in that one element where they have the night mask. No regardless of what they look like, which I think is really cool. It's very clever character design, awesome stuff. And I love the level. I love the way it's dark. The silhouette thing just calls up, again, some of those epic 8-bit memories. I think of Ninja Gaiden 2 specifically, where and the lightning flashes, and you see the the way it really looks for a moment before it goes back to silhouette, and how that introduces a whole different level of gameplay. And already we're getting, even two or three levels in, we're already getting a sense of how it's going to get a little bit more difficult from jump to jump. And in this, in his Inspector Knight's level, we get a little more complex. We got a little bit more of the death pits, and it's a little more atmospheric. We got the enemies. I mean, you already said with the giant skeleton sprite, that calls back a very joyful 8-bit memory because we loved seeing like the giant boss sprites when we were kids. And again, it's calling up that thing. It's like, oh man, look how cool that enemy is, and he's not even a boss or a mini boss. He's just an old a level.
0: And unlike those old days, it doesn't drag the game down. It's not just a background image with hitboxes. Great point. Famous,ly no, obviously the, the the yeah the dragon in Mega Man Two is a is a background image, and Sorry. even then it couldn't it, even then it couldn't work properly. There was just constant flashing. It was really running at thirty frames. But yeah, you're right. It's it's very cool to see those things as well i'm glad that you like that element as well and then the boss fight itself is
1: oh he's one of my favorite boss fights it's so fun you said it so perfectly there's only a few different things he could do but the way he sort of pairs them together and goes back to back with his various attacks three or four different things he could do keeps you on your toes and it's very satisfying to beat him the pogo mechanic is just very it's a very satisfying way to fight in an old school video game it's and making that at the core of your of your gameplay and of your mechanics is just was really a clever thing to take something that was kind of like an afterthought or something that came later in Zelda two and just build the game around that is really cool. And it's really offbeat the way they chose a shovel. You know, it doesn't at at first you would think early in conception, you'd be like a shovel. I don't know. Maybe let's try something different, but the way that feels like nothing else is pretty amazing you know king arthur meets scrooge mcduck meets Mega Man meets link it's it's its own thing again you get it you're, t- you're borrowing elements from other things and just making a completely unique original thing out of it which is what makes it epic
0: yeah i agree we move on at this point to plague Knight. we have the green purple yellow black laboratory good stuff that he's in interesting level one of my probably least favorite levels and least favorite boss designs i was a little disappointed that they spent time with him on dlc i feel like that was an also he played so weird in that dlc i just really didn't enjoy it very much but nonetheless here he is he's the in the Explodatorium, which i think is a awesome name for a stage <laughs> Good shit. and he's obviously up to all sorts of mysterious alchemy and there are flames and explosive mice and other alchemical type enemies, birds going around dropping these beakers that are exploding, and I love the plague doctor. It seems like every enemy, as we were saying, has one, one big enemy that's not a mini, bo- quite a mini boss, but still an enemy that reappears. And here it's the the uh, plague doctor type enemies that are throwing vials around, and I love the uh, the flashing beaker platforming. I think it's really cool. It's stark. The wizard mini boss here is cool as he's rifling through the shelves, and he turns into that white oh, I love that, that guy. white creature. Very, very interesting, thoughtful, beautiful animations, and the lights. Are, it reminded me a little bit of of like Flashman or Gemini Man or something like that in Mega Man, where there's just a lot of movement or seeming movement with the light and the color in the in the uh, in the stage. What did you think about? plague Knight stage and and fighting the man himself he's actually a pretty frustrating boss he's not none of the bo- I, I see the thing is none of the bosses are hard you can just beat the shit out of all of them really but you have to be pretty aggressive with him he again getting so nerdy fighting him reminded me a lot of fighting like Sparkman or something in mega man 3 where the stage or quick man where the stage is not even and so it makes it hard to like run up to him and that's obviously by design but Talk to me a little bit about Plague Knight.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. That boss fight is frustrating because it's hard to pull out your pogo mechanic because of the various heights and because he stays airborne so long. You have to kind of rely on other measures until you know he's going to stay down. Then maybe you'll get a couple of uh, shovel digs on him from the air. But yeah, and I love the plague, the Plague Knight mask. You know that bird mask, the beak like mask. So cool, such a such an eerie image from history. And I love kind of incorporating that into a boss design. It's really fun. But yeah, and I love how colorful and vibrant the level is. Again, it's fun, it pops, but it still creates kind of a forbidding atmosphere and makes you kind of afraid. And again, this one gets, this one's kind of somewhere in the middle. So you're ramping up now with more complex shovel mechanics. Again, you got the sand in there. You might have to uh, pogo a couple of bricks before you have to slash so you don't fall in a death pit. And you have the instant death spikes all over the place. And I think this might be the introduction to a lot of the more explosive enemies or just explosives in general and how they take a lot more damage off your energy gauge, off your life gauge, which is really fun. And, you know, just again the and the music. You know, the music is is also a lot of fun and really kind of defines the personality of each level and each boss, too. The music is a really big part of that as well. I think we haven't talked about Mole Knight yet. I think Mole Knight's is my favorite music of, all, of the eight boss levels, but all the music is so good and they all stand out from each other as well. You know, every, every piece of music is very unique unto itself, which like, you know, again, that calls up Mega Man and some of the most classic Capcom and Konami, especially those game and Nintendo, those games specifically where the music is such a huge part of the experience you know it's 50 percent of the battle i think
0: i think so too especially with we had less to rely upon with these games so i think everything that you had like all the tools needed to be employed in the proper way because there there were fewer distractions to distract you from what didn't work or didn't sound right or didn't look right i gotta go to treasure knight who i think is my second favorite apart from tinker knight Got to have an underwater level in a game like this. You Got to have an underwater stage. You got to have it play with the physics of the game. Very Mega Man. Of Very course. Mega Man. Submarine setting. Windows to the depths. You got blacks and browns and golds and blues. Really interesting color palette heel here. And I like the enemies that are here too. The underwater enemies that you get the shell creatures and the crab creatures and the shells themselves you can play around with a lot. Make them into the, these awesome projectiles that fly through the water got your green eels and the purple sea creatures. You got those pink tentacles that you can pogo oh, on so fun. over boundaries and the various stingrays. The stage I think has the coolest mini boss too, which is the treasure chest fish mini boss where you're fighting the fish with the the he's like you think it's a treasure chest you dig it up, the fish comes out of the ground and he's chasing you in one of these sequences you're trying to fight the the thing on top of his head. It reminded me a little bit of and I don't know if this is the intention, but of Bubble Man, the fish that you fight in his stage with the things that are hanging off their heads, where you have to fight them, and that's a yes. weak spot. So I think that's a call out to that. And I also dug the the platforms. Like, there's torpedo platforms, and you like hit them, and and they fly across the screen at certain intervals. So there's a lot of cool platforming here that you have to combine with the different physics. So I can imagine that for less experienced players, this stage, along with probably Propeller Knight's stage, are probably the hardest stages in the game. But I must also say that Treasure Knight is just such a cool design. I love old school diving outfits. I think they are just so dope. It's, we talked about it when we did Bioshock and Bioshock 2. Yes, right. How cool the big daddies are in their diving suits. And so I like that they bring that here. And I love the idea of the like one of his arm cannons being an anchor, which reminds me a lot of Dive Man from Mega Man 4. But again, he has a great quote too My gems, my vessel, my ocean, your very, pres- your very presence tarnishes. They're great great good shit so talk to me about treasure knight and his underwater submarine level and fighting him himself you know what's so
1: cool about the characterization and the way they imbue the character with so much personality and the dialogue and everything kyle we very rarely got that in an 8-bit game with the exception of like you could think of special instances like simon's quested that a little bit but this takes Eight bit gaming to the next level. It almost takes it into like sixteen bit RPG territory, which we very rarely got that much personality with eight bit games. We'd have to read into it more. You know, we'd have to scour through the instruction books to find out more about our favorite boss character, or maybe or some have a cutscene like
0: Ninja Gaiden's cutscene. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: Ninja Gaiden's a great example because they carried that through with those first three games. The way very few 8-bit games did. So it's nice to get that in an 8-bit game. It's very rewarding to get like something that we didn't get. Take It's taking 8-bit games to the next level, really. So I, I think with the graphics as well, I love the Iron Whale, you know, the the fact of like this submersible giant metallic ship where this treasure knight sort of hangs out. And it does, maybe even more so than any other level, reminds me of Mega Man levels, especially Mega Man 2 and 3, Toad Man Bubble Man, where you're going in and out of the water and you're getting a little bit of a taste now of uh, the bubble platforming where you have to pop, you know, you got to go through Mm -hmm. the bubbles and they don't really support you. So you got to be careful not to fall into death pits. Again, just introducing a couple of more elements with with each subsequent level that just build up the difficulty and build up the experience until, you know, eventually you incorporate all those things. Then you're you're pulling through bubbles and stone and sand at the same time, and you got to really pay attention. So they're int- slowly introducing you and spoon feeding you these different these different elements that are getting, you know eventually get more and more difficult. So and it may the second time through you really realize how carefully and how deftly they do that. Like they really, really, you could tell there's a lot of careful and thoughtful planning into how they introduce those mechanics and how that affects. The difficulty and how it affects how fast you could go through and how it affects, you know, the treasure that you may lose and all that kind of stuff. Simple on its face. Again, on its head, it's very simple, but very clever. And uh, this is a this is a great one. You, you got to have the water stage, right? You got to have it.
0: Definitely. I agree. And of course, you also have to have a fire stage. And this is where Mole Night comes in from the underground lost city. Volcanoes, browns, oranges, yellows, reds, rock. Uh, tougher sands to block. So we were talking about you know the the sand that erodes quickly, the normal sand now this introduces kind of the both the more difficult rocks that allow you to pogo on them more but then the rocks that explode when you pogo on them. So a whole new element of platforming. One of the cool things in this stage I think is the the platform bug that appears like the beetle with the bouncy thorax that's green and you're so using fun. the platform up and down. Very cool element there. And I also like the the element with the 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 green slime making platforms and how the fire can interact with the green slimes and the enemies or the green slime and the green slime enemies so that things go on fire if you, you let those green slimes go alight they become much more difficult to handle etc becomes super annoying i can imagine that this stage will also be annoying for some people in some way i i don't you know what story uh bounce man in mega man 11 was like a fucking is really oh, really annoying and and uh, or rubber man as he was called in Japan. And by the way, are we that we have Hardman. I think we could have taken <laughs> Rubber Man. Like, are they serious? Although we did have quite
1: a lot of fun with Hardman.
0: We did. We did <laughs> have a lot of fun with Hardman. <laughs> Why didn't they just call him Armor Man? I just still don't know. Anyway. <gasps> so we get to Mole night. we go through this beautiful stage. Of course, you said you love the the accompanying music. Another great quote. You're out of your depth, Speelunker. Are you lost? the awesome, awesome line. And this fight is jetting back and forth and coming out of the ground very much like drill man in Mega Man. Four. Yeah, sure. And one of the more difficult and wily huh, fights in <laughs> the game. But I must say that I think that this is the most underwhelming stage boss combo in the game for me. What, what do you think of Mole Man? Or I'm sorry, Mole Man, Mole Knight. Well, I wish no. we had Mole Man. Yeah. <laughs> close enough. Yeah, you know you already have
1: the castle, you already have the haunted village, the alchemy lab, you have the underwater level, so you need to have the lava level, right? You need to have the lava, the stone, the earth level. So, yes, yeah, so, and you know, I that might you reminded me with that little sort of rubbery dung beetle was is that the first time we get an auto scrolling bit or is something goes on rails where we don't have,
0: I think so, because I don't think that happens again until the last stage. It's funny. Cause I, I wrote about the auto scrolling somewhere. Yeah. But I think that is the first time Yeah,
1: you get, you get, and you know, that's another old school taste of platforming. It's like, all right, now the, the, the whole thing is going to turn on its head when you get auto scrolling and you have to maneuver within a certain amount of time or you get taken over by the screen and killed. Now it's going to, now it's going to introduce a whole new dimension to the game. So I love that. And, I think it's also, to my best recollection, I think it's our introduction to flame type enemies, which you can't pogo, you can't attack from the top, which again, adds a whole nother dimension to it. And, you know, again, going through the different types of rock, that really struck me, you know, you just, you create three or four different types of things that you could pogo or slash through. And just that very simple thing creates a whole different experience of having to tread carefully. And because very oftentimes there's death spikes or a bottomless pit beneath you, so you gotta kind of you gotta kind of platform carefully, and you don't have the tools like the propeller dagger at your disposal yet. So you have to kind of operate within your means, which this game does
0: the best. yep yeah, it really does. In a way, it reminds me a little bit of the original Mega Man. I'm sorry, I keep referencing Mega Man, but. Where it almost feels like they're blowing their load with just using all of the different elements. It's like we got Guts Man, we got Iceman, we got right. Fireman, we got lek Man. We're never going to make another game again. <laughs> and I, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like they're doing that here. Where I wonder, I'm almost, I'm actually very curious to know what the new Knights are going to be. I'm that's sure that we'll have point. a new group of them. Just because with stuff like they, they, they cleverly have circumnavigated though, because he's not Flame Knight or Fire Knight. And see, that's one of the things that I like about this game. It's he's Mole Knight. He's, a, he's. He's an he's more associated with Earth than anything else. And the next yeah. enemy is sim- similar. Polar Knight, really cool name. Awesome. And Polar Man would be a cool definitely robot. master. you can have that one. Uh, Capcom. Take it. You got to have the slippery ice level, the snow level reminiscent of Iceman stage, Blizzard man stage, et cetera, in the Mega Man games, blues and blacks and grays and silvers. I love the beautiful Aurora filled sky in stage and so the stage and the way it introduces pinks and purples really prominently into the, the color palette. The purple wolf enemies are 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 wily and annoying and the, the bearded viking like spike spear throwers are cool i like how they jump away and you so can cool. pogo on them because they have helmets and the snow over the spikes is a cool element where you have to hit the snow and it falls from this almost in this avalanche like way onto the platforms and i really dug the rainbow flat platform where you you hit the 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 statue it shoots this rainbow backwards so and then cool. moves forward and you have to like run along the rainbow and it obviously introduces all of these elements to make that really complicated as well ultimately you get to polar night should we not lay down our shovels and part as equals is what shovel night asks talk to me a little bit about polar night and his stage i love polar night first of all i think he's a great i love how big he is and the fact that so i knew you were going to that. Gonna say that to on top of him that.
1: you know you- he's hulking so but the fight itself is so satisfying because he could even eventually he digs out The snow and there's death spikes underneath, but he could carry you as long as you're careful. You could just really stay on top of him, which is really super fun. And I love the point that you brought up, Kyle, about just not naming him Snow Knight or Ice Knight. In fact, it was I had trouble remembering his name for years. I was like, "What is the Snow Guy's name again?" Because it's something a little more creative, a little more unexpected. Polar Night is a a great thing. Slippery ice level. We know how slippery ice is in old school games creates a whole different but. ball of wax
0: it reminds me of those mario 2 nightmare levels oh
1: my god those are mario 2 i mean every great video game had the ice level right because the slippery mechanic just and creating uh something where you don't have the footing the same footing and that's you know can i also say about shovel knight i love the fact that just the default mechanic there with running and coming to a stop and jumping it's not slippery i always hated the slippery thing. It almost feels, it doesn't stop on a dime like Simon and Simon's Quest or something, but it has just enough give, maybe like a Mega Man where it's so that you're not sliding to a halt because I love Mario 2, for instance, but that's a very slippery game. You know, you, oh your God. character comes to a slip. The you have to always nightmare. build in.
0: Yeah. Louis you know, you G and have all to those account guys. for
1: that. Yeah. But you don't have to do that with Shovel Knight. So the ice level really does feel different. It feels like, all right, now we're on ice instead of the whole game the whole game feeling like it's on ice and you know just i mean i i that's another thing too like this this level polar knights level it does introduce a lot of mechanics the snow that fo- that you have to kick down to fall on top of the spikes the slippery ice brand new enemies there's a lot here there, as we get towards the end they're kind of ramping up the difficulty steeper i feel like especially with this one and Propeller Knight too. I would argue is I remember that being a lot more difficult the first time I played.
0: Adding those elements like the to the fights, especially the the spikes, Propeller Knight. We'll talk about adds the gaps to the side of the stage, very much like Storm Eagle and Mega Man X, where yes. you can kind of get pushed off the side. Oh, I love that fight. So yeah, there's a lot to uh, unpack with him. But I knew you were going to say something about Polar Knight's size because. I know how much you're a fan of the disparate sizes in 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 related casts. And we always talk about Marvel versus Capcom. That's really the prime example of that. But Polar Knight's comparison to the next night, Tinker Knight. Seen here. There he is, is awesome because he's a little tiny, little tiny man, probably the size of of Shovel Knight or Polar Knight's helmet. And this stage is a factory and it's full of conveyor belts, kind of like Metal Man conveyor belts. And you got the blacks and the browns and the purples and the blues, moving platforms and gears kind of reminiscent maybe of the clock tower stages from Castlevania. You got more of the explosive rats and you have the the gear shooting guys, which I really like. They wear like the they wear like these outfits, like these these garage outfits with these uh, aprons, like these heavy rubber looking aprons. And they shoot the gears out of their guns. I love Pretty those cool looking enemies. And. I've said it before, and I know longtime fans know, I am just a huge fan of Tinker Knight as a character. I think this this character is hysterical. I love how you just stumble on him and he's just working at his debt, like at his, you know, his workbench. (laughs) And I've said before, and I'll say it again, I think this would have been stronger if you just beat the shit out of him. And that was it. And I think it would have been funny. I think it would have been surprising. And I think what they could have done, and we'll talk about it, obviously, Mega Man-esque again, you're going to fight the bosses again. At that point, I think that they could have been it would have been funny for you to be like, I'm going to beat the shit out of this guy again. And then he goes off and hauls off and brings back this machine and fights you a second. time. Great idea. You know, that would have been cool. So I I, I wish that they showed a little bit of restraint there. And you literally just knock the ever loving shit out of this the character. <laughs> ah. Because you find him unprepared, like you find him. You, he's not ready. No. And it's, it's and maybe the text could have been something like I didn't expect, you know, I didn't expect you so soon or some, something like that. And. And then he just runs around and tries to hit you with his wrench. He doesn't back away. He's not a coward, but you still beat him. But I, I just love that, that small character. Oh, that's and, and that's so a fun. pretty difficult boss fight when he brings out his, his dozer, his, his guts dozer type uh, machine. So talk to me about Tinker Knight and his factory pl- uh, stage and what you think about all that.
1: Yeah, the level is so cool. I mean, eight big gamers know you need to have the conveyor belt, right? That's first of all, got to have it. That's very important. And like you said, the moving platforms are now stepped up. That's kind of kicked up a notch. And yeah, Tinker Knight's hilarious, dude. It makes you think like, why weren't they that inventive and say Capcom in the old days in one of the Mega Man iterations, why not make a really tiny boss? That's hilarious. And that's not hard to do because you're making smaller sprites with your limitations, right? I love your idea of having a stepped up thing where you have two battles with him. And the next time it goes, boop, you know, next time he pulls out his giant robot or his giant apparatus that he's going to fight you with. But that was really fun too. Like catching him unawares, still having to fight this little guy. You almost feel bad, but then he pulls out the giant invention, the giant robot missile blasting bulldozer thing that he sits in and he's so tiny and t- on top of it. It's just clever, dude. It's so fun. And you know, he's got his little welding mask on. He's adorable.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. I like how he has his, his mask on. <gasps> And finally, we get the Propeller Knight. Now, everything about this reminds me of Gyro Man from Mega Man 5, right down to the colors, oh. the type of enemy, uh, the nature of the stage. Forgot I just that can't imagine that that wasn't a major inspiration here if you guys look that up. You're here on an airship. It's moody and nostalgic, I think. It's got lots of yellows and whites and greens and reds and blues, the beautiful setting sun and all of the rest. It's really cool. And the stage plays with its own mechanic, with its its wind. And it works against you and it works for you. And so you can use it to jump far and you can be used to kind of jump in a more staid way. It combines into a fairly complicated platforming section later on where the wind is going up and then over and then
1: down. Oh, and back. It's good shit.
0: It's it's really good. And I can understand with a stage like Propeller Knights, why they they stepped them the way they did, because to have a Mega Man like game, you need to generally make all the stages the same. Now, there are, are of course, outliers like no one goes to Heat Man stage without rush jet or whatever it is item one in that game is it item one item two and then no one goes to something like quick man stage without or typically not without flashman's weapon right but generally you want people to really go in any direction and be able to find some success and i don't think that this game this stage is balanced with the rest of the game it's it's a nice little it's a nice little reminder that you're about to enter the end game and maybe can be or it can be used as some sort of icing on a on an end cake that is not cooked enough i don't think the game's long enough i don't think it's good enough at the end but what do you make of this fight and this character and yeah the auto scrolling really picks up here as well uh in addition to having it in mole knight's stage we have it in a much greater way in uh, propeller knight's stage so talk to me a little bit about this stage this fight i obviously like how he uses like a like a, a fencing sword oh and it's so fun his, he reminds me a lot of the gi joe annihilator which had like this backpack that was a that was a uh like a helicopter and so there's a lot of cool things i i tear from here i'm sure that that wasn't the intent but talk to me about propeller knight
1: yeah he's like this very proper fencing gentleman character right like this regal guy at the center of this level that really does feel like more than any other level i guess it's a proper eighth boss level before you go on to the last boss and the the last bit you know, really demands an expertise of your pogoing skills. You have electrified enemies that you can't touch while they're electric. You have the wind, as you said, and you have those on-rail segments where you have to pogo across the cannonballs and you have to do different things where you have those auto scrolling bits, disappearing platforms, platforms that fall away after your weight gets on them. So you have a lot to juggle and different enemy types, difficult enemy types, those, um, green robed mage characters that fly and then blow you back yeah yeah. oh they yeah. gave me fits at times it's like you really have to deal with them thank god this is the stage where you earn the propeller dagger which is essentially the air dash and that really opens up the game like even getting the propeller dagger and going back to earlier levels it's so satisfying just to blast through levels not only that not only for platform but to use that offensively to attack characters is also a lot of fun because you bounce off and then you could just air dash back. Really fun the way they, they set that up and made that whole thing work. That mechanic is like the champion of relics in this game. I love it so much. So it was nice to finally earn that. And then that last fight, you know, with propeller Knight where he blows you up and then tries to skewer you on his fencing uh, sword and all that kind of stuff. And then he calls in the airship to attack you, which I think is a lot of fun. And that those cannonballs destroy the platforming you're standing on, so you got to be careful. Super fun. That might be that for me. Might be the coolest, most dynamic boss fight because of calling in the airship of because, because of the way the nature of the level changes, the way he destroys it, and everything like that. Super, super fun. I found actually a shortcut with that. Or a mechanic that was really helpful in that, in throwing the anchor up at him, which again, calls up the axe from Castlevania, right? The arcing weapon that's right. not only powerful, but that goes above your head and then comes down in like a, a, a semi-circle arc. Uh, that, that, that was a great way. And just jumping with that, if he goes too high, which was really a lot of fun. And yes, yeah, they it felt like a proper mini, you know, like a right hand, right hand man to the enchantress super super hard level hard boss but again you realize how how well designed everything is because the second time around it's a lot easier you do find it a lot more simple
0: yeah i'm looking up right now yeah, here it is i wanted to just since we were talking about it bring up some of the uh the various uh sub weapons here called relics mm-hmm. what, you, is it fair to say that that was your your favorite was the propeller dagger
1: I like that one a lot. I found myself using the flare wand, which you get pretty early because you don't really have a proper projectile weapon. So you could take out like some of the mage characters that throw the that you know uh they throw those fireballs at you, um, that you could actually hit back as well. But if you want to take out characters from afar, the flare wand was an early projectile weapon that I used. I used the phase locket a lot more in this round. Uh this this go round. For invincibility over spikes, but also just to get get myself invincible at small increments on boss fights. You know, you could, you're invincible for three or four seconds. You could do a little damage and then, you know, pepper them and then run away and keep doing that. And the throwing anchor, as I mentioned, but the propeller dagger is just there's something so satisfying about an air dash in old school games. What Definitely. about you, Kyle? What which ones did you kind of favor?
0: It's funny because I, I did I use the phase log it myself a lot. This particular time which I, I I don't often do like in uh castlevania i don't use the stopwatch very often and i feel like it's a similar weapon here where it's this more amorphous top spin type sure. attack or type kind of neutral thing but there are interesting weapons like the dust knuckles are really cool for navigating if you use them uh properly and i liked the uh the war horn as well which is the thing that where you it's like an area of effect attack that thing
1: that thing was fun i didn't even buy that this time around but i remember using that a lot the first on my first quest years ago that was a fun one that's a very satisfying one to use yeah it kind of kills everything or harms everything within that radius
0: right yeah it's super cool so let me move on here Dave. we've talked about the eight bosses i wanted to back up a little bit because i think one of the cool things this game does too and i'm interested to see how they do this in the second one and how we Encounter these characters is they kind of introduce these random characters that you don't really know that that battle you along the way. And first of all, again, just a shout out to them moving around like Hammer Brothers and and whatever Fire Brothers on the map where you don't really know you because in old Mario games a lot of people would try to avoid them, but then you would get trapped and you'd have to fight them and all that. And so you just my rule is always just get rid of them as soon as you can when these kinds of enemies. It's a good strategy, sure. Now I'm curious what you think that we have Rees or Rise, who's like a boomerang using ninja. Uh, We have Mr. Hat, who you fight in the clothes store, which is pretty cool. You have Baz, who uses a whip. Wonder if that's a Simon Belmont shout out. And then you have the mysterious Phantom Striker as well. These characters remind me you brought up uh, Vile before, but it's perfect because it reminds me a lot of the anchors and the vials and the bass and treble and all just proto man, which I kind of feel like Black Knight is proto man. Sure. It reminds me a lot of those. You don't really get uh too much uh texture out of these characters but they add something to it where they're just these i like how they all have these conversations where they really don't want to fight each other and then they but they're like we have to fight. <laughs> and then you never really see them again so talk to me about these these random characters and what you thought about the incorporating the hammer brothers spirit of these one-off fights and also these one-off stages that you would encounter where you'd have to do these these platforming feats usually based on a special weapon that you might have encountered.
1: Sure. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Nice to have those little optional areas where you could either get a special item or you could just get a you know, collect a little more treasure. And it's kind of at your it's at your discretion whether you want to go in for that or not. I love having the wandering, traveling opponents on the overhead map because it just gives a little bit of that extra dimension and a little bit of that extra difficulty. Sometimes they're in your way, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're blocking where you want to go, but either way, you know, eventually you're probably going to have to deal with them at some point. So I like your philosophy of just taking them head on and just getting them over with. I love the Rise character because he's one of my favorite designs in the entire game. It's like, who he's an amazing looking like anime kid. He's brandishing these two huge boomerangs and he's got that giant wisp of hair sticking out of his head, which is like as tall as he is by itself. It's just a really fun character design. And I love the fact that he's a hero. He's just another hero that you encounter in this world who's trying to track down the order of no quarter just like you are, but he thinks you're one of them. So he he doesn't listen to reason and you have to fight before he'll actually listen to you. Like, no, I'm not. You know, we're both on the same side type of thing. And then the Baz character is that hulking, whip-wielding, big guy. And you find out if you talk to him, like he's an aspiring knight. He wants to be in the order of no quarter. He says he went out and bought like this awesome rope and spent all this money on this outfit and they won't accept him and everything. So he's like this (laughs) disgruntled, would-be bad guy that you have to... to, And that's a really fun fight too. That has a lot of fun mechanics with the whip and him swinging and then sort of enacting like a thunder... You know, a thunderclap that shakes the ground and disables you temporarily. That's super fun. And he,
0: and he swings it in the air so you can't pogo on Right. It, that's
1: right. People. He does a little lasso maneuver. Yeah. Super fun. The Mr. Hat character I didn't even know about until I think I saw it on a speed run or something. And then realized you have to pay each one of those mooching shoppers in his shop, right. which I was always too cheap to do. And I never fought him. I just watched it. But I, th- I thought it was creepy. I thought it had a creepy air to it because now there's this good guy that all of a sudden challenges you. I think he wants your helmet, if
0: I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Well, because he's calling it like a hat or whatever. And he's like, it's a helmet. You know, whatever.
1: (laughs) And then that Mr. Creep ghost, I didn't even fight that character the first time. I didn't even go through that Hall of Champions thing the first time around. And then decided to try that out. I think you have to pay five grand to get in. Mm -hmm. And then was a little baffled. I don't know if you experienced this because there's all these ghosts in there. You realize you have to hit those giant light crystals into them in order to kill them or else you're just kind of vanquishing them temporarily. And then I was like, all right, I guess if I just kill enough of these dudes, I guess I'll get my 5,000 back. But it turns out when you kill every ghost in that level, then that giant Mr. Creep comes. And then you have to juggle, you have to learn how to juggle, which was very fun. You have to juggle that little light crystal, that little light orb, hit it and then hit it again or Pogo on it or whatever. That was a really fun battle. That was a really fun thing that I accidentally just discovered. I didn't even know about it until this time around. So that was really fun. And it's nice to have those little extra characters. You know, it's nice to have those little extra things that you can do. Again, I, like you, feel like there could have been more. But I guess that had a lot to do. That has all to do with the Kickstarter and getting this thing out initially, right? That they
0: had. Yeah, I think so. And you know, when you think about it, I remember in my review, I think I said something that like was seven to eight hours For a first person to play, so it's a good weekend game, I think. Yeah, and that's a good one. When I play when I went back, having not played it in years, but being obviously good at it and familiar with it, it took me like four hours this time. Okay. So, and I beat it in under an hour because I have the trophy for it. It's under ninety minutes or whatever. But that was back in the day. So there are different levels in which you can play it. I feel like it's funny because the end of the game I feel like is a little underwhelming, and I can't help but think of Mega Man Nine and Mega Man Ten in this regard. I feel like both of those games really missed the mark with the end, especially 10. 10 started really strong. Remember, you go to the Dr. Wiley, the first stage is Dr. Wiley's like servers, and he has like all the copies of the bosses yes. and you have to fight different copies of them as you go through. And it's super, so super cool. cool. I remember playing that for the first time. <laughs> this is awesome. And all it is, is like Dr. Wiley logos everywhere. And, and well, will right here, as you see on my super uh, on my mic. So I feel like the thing that's lost here is I, I just it, it reminds me of a lot of things. It's hard. To, it's hard to know how to end something. And I just think that two stages is just not enough for the end of the game of a game like this. Even Mega Man one gave you like four. And by the time you got to four five and six, they would give you two castles. There would always be like the fake castle and then the real castle. Sure, I always loved that, And that's why with nine and ten, when nine went the Mega Man two route, I was like, that's cool. Then the next one, ten, will definitely do the other. And then they just did it again. And I, I was like this is massively disappointing that you're doing this but were you i don't want to say i'm underwhelmed by the tower of fate it's beautiful the green sky skies and the rainfall and, and using the, the rain as a, a, a measure of seeing where platforms are and where they are oh, and the dude, thing. it's that, it's very it's a lot of clever stuff but it just it feels a little it feels underwhelming actually at the end
1: Yeah. You know, it's, there's a couple of elements that I like. I love that you're talking about Mega Man 9 and 10 actually, because I was charting this back to trying to follow the movement or to the return in large part to the games we grew up with or the retro gaming craze and what kicked it off. And, you know, of course I was thinking back to things like the Wii, the the Wii, sorry, the Wii Virtual Console in 2006 and then Mega Man 9. And I guess that was 2008, right? Mm -hmm. And then Mega Man 10 in 2010. And the way that head of steam slowly grew. And, you know, it's interesting that game, you know, companies like Nintendo and Capcom who were initially responsible for, of course, like the success of eight bit video games back in the day were in large part responsible for rekindling people's interest in old school games are very clever by, by, you know, by their own measure, because they're rekindling and reboosting and rebooting their own franchises. Essentially. But yeah, I think you're right about Shovel Knight in particular, in the fact of like just in creativity in general, it is very difficult to end things. It's like, how do you create a proper end to something that's satisfying, right? You think of things like The Sopranos and how polarizing that is for people, how that ended, and how do you do it, and how do you do it successfully? Then I think of very successful things like we talk about this sometimes with like Mad Men. I was telling Helene the other day, I said, you never, you're never going to watch it. So I'm going to tell you how Mad Men ended. And she was like, oh, wow, that is pretty cool. You know, that Don Draper comes up with this famous ad campaign. But how do Ooh, you do you, it? E- e-
0: <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, do we want to say that? Is that a spoiler? Oh,
1: that is. is oh, no, I didn't say <laughs> what famous ad campaign.
0: Yeah, I guess that's. Did that. I say yeah, it. it? Did I say it? No, you didn't say okay, what, okay. what it was. I don't think it really is a big deal.
1: No, I know. I think that's I think that's good enough. I'll take the blame for that. That's, that's that a, should be
0: broad enough. I think.
1: I hope. Yeah, I think so, too. I hope. But. uh You know, it is. It is very difficult to end something. And I like certain things about the ending. I like the Tower of Fate. I like, like you said, there's very, very clever mechanics like having to platform by looking at the weather effects. Like you could only know what platforms to jump on at a certain segment, at a certain silhouetted segment because the rain is hitting the actual platforms and splashing. And the fake silhouette platforms don't have the rain hitting them. So you have to really pay attention to the environmental effects and everything. I was very clever. And I like the fact of other small things like having a female main boss. I think the enchantress is very cool. I think she has a very cool anime-esque design to her. Very mystical looking, something that you don't usually see in a western design video game i feel like it takes a lot of anime cues like characters like rise where it's like all right that's a very decidedly anime-esque character and it's kind of cool how they tie that in and not everything in the game feels like that it feels like a little it, feel, it feels like a little east meets west which is cool and just a very simple love story at the center of this thing you know with shovel knight fighting this evil faction in order to rescue his beloved You know, and that whole thing at the center of it—it's nothing. It's a little bit of like nothing new, but I like the fact of Shovel Knight and uh, Shield Knight being this duo, this sort of offense and defense, right? Like this yin and yang, and you see that you know when they're together, you could you could imagine them being this force to be reckoned with. So there are little elements in there that I like, but you know, maybe it's because the whole experience is so wonderful and so dynamic. And was so special, especially by 2014, 2015 terms before the advent of indie games and how successful it became and how wonderful the, the entries became. Maybe it's just because we don't want it to end. You know what I mean? Maybe it's because it's like, how do you end something that was so special? And that, and that we, we feel a little short at the end because I think the game does feel just a little too short. Think about one of its biggest influences, Super Mario 3. That game was friggin' ridiculously long. You know, and then, of course, adding insult to injury, not having a battery in that cartridge. I know. It was America. like, oh, my
0: God. Yeah, the whistles were the best you could do. So
1: maybe it's just a little dose of that. Maybe it's a little mm. dose of like, we don't want this thing to end. For you, how could it have ended that you would have felt satisfying? Do you have any ideas? I don't know. That? I
0: just think lo- I just think more than two stages. And yeah, I will say that one of the things that I absolutely love, 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 love at the end is the way they present the bosses. To fight again, again, yes. very fueled by Mega Man. In those games, you'd go into Wily's castle. There'd usually be some sort of room with portals, and you'd go and fight them again. In this, I like how they—they're all just eating dinner at like this long it's last, like the supper, last type supper table. It's awesome. So I mean, that, cool. I don't know who came up with that idea. There, first of all, that should be an, a piece of art that you can buy because that would be dope. I would love so that. Cool, but that was very neat, especially because they always come out in random order. So you can't I didn't really know that until it. I yeah. heard that
1: in an interview because I only yeah. played it twice, so I didn't remember. Um, that's amazing that you could fight them in random order. And then you have to develop your strategy as such. You're like, you can't really develop. I remember watching a speed run and they were saying that's one of the biggest bugaboos in a speed run for this game, even though they, Yacht Club, you know, essentially designed this game to be somewhat fluid for speed running. They designed it that way from the outset, but this is one of those things kind of like those on rail or auto scrolling sections where it's like that gives you a little bit of a daunting challenge in a speed run because you don't know who you're going to fight when but i love that boss rush that last supper thing where you you kind of fall into the room and they're just all sitting there
0: it's it's cool because you can imagine what that room would, would have been like yeah it's 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 very cool very comical and uh I wanted to f- dive into a couple other elements of the game sure. and this universe through the audience here. Uh, obviously, we didn't say it at the top, but you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash lastdaymedia for early ad-free access to every episode of our show. This also goes for Sacred Symbols and uh, Defining Duke, our PlayStation and Xbox podcasts, respectively. And you can get your name in the credits and you can do all sorts of things. So come join us over there if you can. Daniel Koning wrote something about something that we already talked about. He says, this has to be a common sentiment, but the soundtrack is arguably the most incredible part of a game Ugh. that is a 10-10 in most areas, 10 out of 10. I played Shovel Knight before my kids were into video games, but picked it up again as they got older and we regularly put the soundtrack on while driving in the car together. I know you had mentioned the soundtrack. I also wanted to use this, since Daniel did, as, an, a, as a way to talk about your relationship with your son in, in regards to this game. Is he still into it as he was back in the day? And is this a, still a meaningful product to him? And do you do you enjoy the soundtrack and you guys, do you guys share anything like that together? We did
1: the, the, you know what the funniest thing about it is it makes me realize how old I'm getting and how old he's getting. Graydon's 11 now. And when we first got this game, he was four. And so, you know, we're talking about December, 2014 to January, 2015, my best recollection when we really dug in. Oh, no pun. (laughs) No pun. (laughs) No pun, my friend. When we really got into this game was around that time. He was four And he loved it. And he beat it on his own. I remember, you know, beating... This is the era where we were playing a lot of games together, whether that was a contemporary game or an old school game, NES game, uh, SNES game. We were playing Wii U, played PlayStation 3 at that time. We were playing just a little bit of everything. And I remember him beating it. I remember him going through the entire game at four or five years old and beating it himself. I remember him beating the Enchantress and not helping him because specifically that fighting having to pogo and having to really have your druthers with the mecha- the fighting mechanics Pre- pretty tough battle i remember initially i remember him doing all that and i remember him getting the art book and getting the ds version with the soundtrack and him listening to the music it's funny talking to him now because he doesn't remember a lot you know now he's in the throes of fortnite and oh, he's really into rocket league still which i give him credit for and he's you know, he's really into these other games and these other things and he's moved on. So it was funny that he didn't remember and he would come in and watch me play and be like, oh, I remember all that. I remember all that stuff. So that was fun. But that was a really, we really bonded over this game. And I think it also kind of delighted him secretly, not so secretly that you were involved in it. You wrote the forward for the book. You knew the developers, you knew the people over at Yacht Club. He's sort of I think he kind of was fascinated with that because at the same time, and it is a fascinating part of the story, you know, having an Amiibo for an indie game, I mean, that's amazing. I remember thinking back in 2014 and 2015 and being like, how did they pull that off? And now knowing a little bit more of the story, but that's a, that's a part of the story that can't be overstated, that they got Nintendo's.
0: Yeah, what is the story? Uh, I don't even know if I know the entire thing. So about
1: I guess Nintendo. when these, I guess Yacht Club comes from a lot of WayForward defectors, right? A lot of these people came out of WayForward and formed their own thing, had their own vision, had their own idea and formed their own thing, but knew each other from WayForward. I guess while they were at WayForward, had some sort of established relationships with a person or two at Nintendo that was in charge of their indie-facing arm. Oh, was it Dan Adelman, probably? Yes, I think that's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they already had a relationship with this guy who had a lot of pull at Nintendo, basically. And he was the one to put Yacht Club's project on the radar of the important, you know, key players at Nintendo, and to the point where I guess they got the attention of the right people, whether it's Adelman or his colleagues, to the point of like they believed in it so much and knew how good it was inherently. I mean, you, you would think the play, the the powers that be at Nintendo would know that when they saw it, you know, know a little bit of magic when they saw it, and that's how it. That's how it happened with the Amiibo and everything, but it is incredible. You know, back then, that kind of stuff wasn't happening. We've come a long way, and D Gaming's come a long way since. And there was, we had super meat boy and things previous to this, but, you know, this was really sort of the humble beginnings. Not only that, but of course, Kickstarter and, you know, a modest Kickstarter sort of gaining this incredible head of steam and just going haywire, just going, first of all, it's
0: fucking comical, dude. If I, insane not to if i were an entrepreneur if i were an entrepreneur then i would have funded the game myself i mean it, i remember seeing it them coming to show it to me and being like i'm like are you guys fucking kidding me with this <laughs> I, I i was like you don't have a pu-. the thing is is that no one wanted to publish it that's insane can you imagine that no
1: that's crazy it was only 2014 it wasn't that long ago
0: i i just when they dodged a bullet first of all because they would have had to give the ip over that's a good point and uh it's funny because you can see the sever way forward I'm friendly with people there too. And I like WayForward games a lot, but you can see the philosophies that are different. Like they with Shantae and everything, they're doing very beautiful rendered proper 2d games yes. of a new era. And, and clearly Yacht Club wants to do old stuff. And that's kind of our commitment at Lilimo too. We're always going to make 2d pixel games. I, 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 it's never going to come to pass that we don't make anything with that.
1: You feel comfortable so, with that that sort of mantra and that you're sticking to your guns. Indeed.
0: Yeah. But let's talk more about Yacht Club. Michael Peckin wrote in and said, good afternoon, fellow older gentlemen. Do you think the mass amount of free DLC has hurt Yacht Club in the long term? I loved each DLC as they offered new and fun ways to play and expanded the lore, but it took so long for everything to come out that I feel the momentum for a sequel has gone. Mm. Love what you may do and love what you say. Thank you. Yeah, no, um, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, I think it hurt. I, I think that the the idea behind it was that they promised this DLC yes. and that they wanted to do it and follow through. And I appreciate that. But they didn't have to do it that way. And I think that people would have understood. And even if they wanted to just state, satiate their Kickstarters, they could have just given them copies of what really should have been new games. And I agree. I think that they I don't want to say they've squandered the momentum, because I don't think that's true. I think if they announce Shovel Knight 2 tomorrow, it's going to be huge. And I, what I would really love, and I don't know anything. I don't talk to them about their projects. Okay. I, actually, when I went and visited them last time, they made me sign an NDA. I remember that. Which, which I thought was unusual, but because I usually people just let me in. But I'm like, okay, you're clearly... So I know a little bit about what's going on over there, but needless to say, I feel like if they could do it again and I were in charge of the team, I'd be like, you got to get a sequel out in 2016. I mean, 2017. You should be on your third or fourth game at this point. And I appreciate wanting to take care of it and treat it well, but I think there's such a thing as being too stubborn. And I feel like that was the case here. And I do fear for the the future of Shovel Knight because it reminds me a lot of like uh Guacamelee 2 or Axiom Verge 2, where these are great games, but they're clearly not doing as well as the originals, and right. sometimes you just wait too long. Sometimes it's not the timing isn't right, and so I really hope for the best for them. But are you frustrated by their lack of output? Because it has been a long time, and I do bust their balls. where I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Yeah. But i I feel like I feel like it wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility for them to reveal and then have ready very quickly what they're gonna do next.
1: Yeah, it's. I think there's a lot of truth to what you say about maintaining momentum. And building ahead of steam and building off of that, you know, initial success and doing it rapidly. But I wonder if it's that, or with things like Shovel Knight. You mentioned other amazing things like Guacamelee. Like, do people just want to see something new rather than a part two of something that already exists? I wonder how much that is kind of part of the conversation. And you know, going back to Yacht Club specifically. And things like their shovel knight related content, DLC, free DLC, and all of that. I like a couple of things about it. I like the generosity behind that. I also like, you know, it doesn't look like they're constantly vying for the almighty dollar. Like they're six, they're content with their success and they're comfortable enough to give fans free content. Also, yeah, what you said it's an important part of the conversation, which I hadn't realized previously. A lot of these DLC sort of build-ons or spin-offs were Kickstarter milestones. <laughs> so these things were promised years ago and they're still shoveling them. <laughs> they're still shoveling them. But I for me and this is the creator in me and the creative side of myself, for me I want to see Yacht Club do something new. I would and I have to say something that's probably a lot of you guys will disagree with but i would rather see them do something new than a shovel knight 2 an all new sequel game to shovel knight would be amazing don't get me wrong i'd be on the line you know i'd be first in line for that and I'll, I'll i know i would enjoy the hell out of it but i'd rather see them take their genius and what they're good at and do something new or try something new you know like we said earlier try a 16 bit game try another try an 8 bit game in a different genre i don't know but i would love to see them apply their Skills and their talent to something brand new. I think that's always the boldest move for a creator. That's somebody, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have my own business. So it's easy for me to say. But from a fan perspective, I think that just generates a lot of excitement. You know, if we heard tomorrow that Yacht Club's developing a brand new video game that's not Shovel Knight related, we'd all be super psyched for that. And I understand the business acumen of wanting to publish other amazing developers games and also being supportive of other indie developers and that whole thing is really nice but yeah i'm a i'm a huge fan of yacht club dude and they you know this is also kind of a disclaimer too that i applied to a job for them this year and was rejected even with Collins' sort of nudge now in retrospect i applied for a, a, a position that i really wasn't showing a lot of work in my portfolio for i think it was a background or environment design position Which I feel like I could do, but I definitely don't have a body of work to show that. And I'm not mad at Yacht Club for that. It's fine. But it's completely fine. Listen, but I'm a fan, first and foremost. But you know, I'm I'm just as a fan, I'm really I feel like I've been waiting a long time. I feel like I've been waiting longer than it really has been, actually, for them to announce something new i can't i can't wait for these these guys and girls to do something new now kyle what would you prefer would you prefer a proper sequel to shovel knight or you would you prefer them doing something different
0: i can go either way i think in some way you cannot deny that enough time i think has passed where it might not matter if they go back to shovel knight because you know they've let it kind of let it go and I, i wouldn't i don't think they have anything to necessarily lose by not doing that but i think i i suspect they're going to go back they're supporting shovel knight with other games in the universe i just don't know what's Taking them so long to spool up is confusing, and I would love to know more. I'll talk to them about that maybe one day. Yeah, but I wanted to ask you, Dave, to maybe maybe we can do a Truple King spinoff. With the, the fish.
1: <laughs> I did want to ask you about that aspect of the game. Did you get love- into that at all with the chalices and everything?
0: Well, I bought the chalices and just filled them with red liquid, and that when okay. I used them, and that was it. Yeah, okay, I, I didn't. Yeah, okay. you know, I like the little dance. I, I love I love a little stupid shit like that. But I just like that that character, the Truple King oh it's so fun yeah he's
1: fun. very we- and very weird and where are they pulling that from that's what i'm talking about blending in your own unique ideas to some you know to things that are obviously borrowed it's like what the hell is that it's so fun
0: it's funny you say about the you said earlier about the enchantress being kind of anime because i i was seeing her more as like a disney villain
1: yes i could see that yeah like a maleficent type
0: yeah i mean very much yeah. i could
1: definitely see that too
0: all right, Dave, this final one comes from Anthony Maltese. He says, "Hey gents, Yo. if Ya Club could make a new game for any existing IP, oh. what would you want them to do? I know Colin called dibs for Lily Mo, but I'd love to get a successor to GI Joe, The Atlantis Factor, but amp up the story and Ninja Gaiden S cutscenes. I mean, oh, I've said many times, I, I said many times, everything. If we ever got permission to make a GI Joe game, everything would stop at Lily Mo, and we would make the GI Joe game. I mean, that that would be." i would fund that myself and that would be no problem i would talk I, about I would a make passion that.
1: project who could do a better job than you at
0: that? i would make the best gi we would make you the would. best gi game ever but so that would be fun giving them that would be fun i don't know it's an interesting it's an interesting inquiry it's a great question about their potential because we know that way forward they're Lineage, a lot of licensed stuff over there. Some of it really good. Some of it very well regarded. I mean, some of that's some of the most well regarded licensed stuff of the 21st century. Sure, Bat- soft Batman style, oh, well regarded. Right. But I know it's a hypothetical. I just necessarily wouldn't want them to use their energy on something that already existed. Mm-hmm. But you know what, my answer would be straight up. What would these guys do with Mario? What would they do with it? What could they do a 2D Mario, like a real 2D Mario? Uh, a real successor to super mario world which we never got i mean never when you think about the ds iterations you uh, first of all you think about mario world 2 is not a sequel i don't know what the fuck that game is you have you have uh, the the ds releases and the three you know new super mario brothers and everything but nothing that feels like super mario 3 or mario world per se so it could be fun to just go to to take the, the quickest lineage and just say like what would they do with that i mean I feel like Mario could use a little bit of sheen right now and maybe a really proper pixel art 2D old school game would be the, the, the route. But what would you want to see them do, Dick?
1: I think that would be fascinating. I mean, Nintendo already has those proxies. Like think of studios like Camelot, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be fascinating for Nintendo? We know Nintendo's connection and their sort of um, their respect for Yacht Club. Wouldn't that be interesting to see Yacht Club kind of go under them in order to create old school games in the spirit of 1980s, 1990s Nintendo. Awesome. That would be That would be I mean... a move unlike, first of all, for Nintendo, that would be un, a completely uncharted territory. That would be really exciting. I, I think I'm with you in that I would rather see Yacht Club's energies go to producing their own created in-house content because I think they have that level of creativity, not only inspiration fueled by you know, ages past, but they have that inherent creativity to be able to do that successfully. But there's two things I think of that I would love to see personally as a fan is another 8-bit entry into the Ninja Gaiden series. I think that would be amazing. I don't know how that would go with a company like Tecmo.
0: Yeah, I don't know what's... Tecmo, Koei. Koei, that's right. They are pretty cool and they release some pretty good games. I don't know... You know, they own Team Ninja, obviously. I don't I don't know what's stopping them from going back and just re-releasing those games, because famously, those three games were released on SNES, but no one has that. That trilogy. Oh, I don't that, know anyone. That, that collection that, very is a rare.
1: mess. I reviewed that. The music is really bad. They butchered it. They butchered that it's, NES collection.
0: It's sad. To, it's sad to hear. So, yeah, that would be that would be cool, too. And it's interesting because we just saw Mercury Steam, a Spanish studio well outside of Nintendo create Metroid. You know, there you go.
1: Perfect example of something contemporary. Right. So I think that would be cool. But and I haven't played cool the, that. That would be cool. And then what's, I don't know what Konami's deal is as of December 2021, but if they're not going to do anything with Castlevania, that would be a proper... And I know Kogorashi is doing his Castlevania thing. Maybe even Kyle could head this up. But yeah, but you know what I mean? Like who, who better to give it to? than somebody who's so fueled by konami's castlevania initial castlevania entries that franchise 8 and 16 bit versions
0: so konami's Konami's springing back it looks like they are they they they're being mindful of you know the audience i think they're slowly getting their things in order i wouldn't be surprised to hear more about them castlevania is something i would love to tackle in my development career amazing i mean first of all i would shit my pants but I do think that Castlevania right now needs a 3D iteration to revive it. And that's not something I would want to do.
1: It never really so, had a proper 3D iteration, did it?
0: it? Well, it had like Castlevania 64, which I it was fine, but Legacy of Darkness or whatever, that random PS2 game. Then they, they did Lords of Shadow, which was also oh, made by Mercury right. Steam, which ended up, which is the team that made Metroid. But I feel no, not a proper one. No, no and not a proper one. I, I just don't feel like uh, I would be the man for that. But I think for 2D, Castlevania. That would be daunting but amazing, yeah. especially because EGA is insisting on using 2.5D. So, that's true. There's a root there's room to do it the right way and uh maybe they will. I, I don't know. That's a really good point yeah. about Iga
1: and the way he's and the way he's doing things. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great point. I mean,
0: Iga's an amazing man. I Love know him personally. Dude. He's a really nice guy. They launched Bloodstained Kickstarter from my kitchen table.
1: How crazy is that?
0: But I will say that he was only the associate producer on Symphony of the Night. And why I say that is because while he's been given a lot of credit, and I think rightfully so, there are others that know how to do it and clearly others that can learn how to do it. And uh, I don't know if I would want a Metroidvania game or a like it would be interesting to just get a real Castlevania game, like an old Castlevania game. And frankly, we got those from EGA too, because those are the Curse of the Moon games are which, our were, straight which were up so 3. fun oh they were awesome they were and Dude, so you gotta fun. play you gotta play cyber shadow i'm telling you dude play and that's on, on my shadow. list for december i mean metroid dreads
1: next on my list but cyber Shadow's second
0: in line yeah, and like
1: i will one. play that before 2022
0: is in i have to hey, do we have anything else to say before we you know what, Kyle,
1: there's something i wanted to share with you i found myself constantly vetting the graphics back in 2014 2015 and now and just seeing, you know, just trying to take its temperature and saying, okay, is this, could this pass as a true 8-bit game hearkening back to the late 80s, maybe even into the early 90s? You know, what would this have been a proper 8-bit game or is just a little too far? Is this a little too enhanced? Taking a little too 2014 to, you know, levels that were not you know, that, were, that, that they didn't have the capability of back in the late, eight, late 80s, say. And to me, I landed on this idea of feeling like this. If the NES, let's say hypothetically that the NES stayed, NES and Famicom stayed in serious development and went on steadily for another two to three years by the 8-bit heavy hitters back in the day, you know, Capcom, Konami, Tecmo, Taito, Sunsoft, Nintendo, of course, themselves, companies like Sega, those trusted names in 8-bit gaming, if they just pushed off the 16-bit generation a little longer and just continued to seriously develop for the 8-bit machines, I think this is exactly where this game feels like it could have realistically landed. You know, this is where 8-bit games could have arrived. Because when I look at it now, It does feel largely like a legitimate 8-bit entry into a game. And it does feel legitimately old school. But then some of the, here and there, you can see some of the characters, some of the effects animation, it's a little too good. You know, it's a little bit, there might be a little touch in there is a little bit like how, okay, how'd they do that? Suspicious. Or a little too fluid. Color's a little too vibrant. Maybe a little too few, too many colors on the screen at once. Right? Stuff like that. Suspiciously, a little bit crossing over into 16 bit territory. And, you know, I was trying to constantly ascertain that as I was playing the game. And that was my best thing. It was like, all right, that seems like Capcom 8 bit 1994, which wasn't a thing. But had it been a thing, you know damn well they would have been squeezing the NES and the Famicom for all they were worth. So that was something that dawned on me. It was like, it falls somewhere. And, you know, you hear the conversation all the time with Shovel Knights, like, kind of falls somewhere in between 8-bit and 16-bit but i think that's probably the wheelhouse that i felt like realistically it could have been that would have been the area that would have been the uh that would have been the exact temperature what do you think of that
0: i think about that all the time because i think it would be cool to know which of these like super meat Boy, is an example obviously it would be the same where and many games where could you burn this to an nes cartridge and would it run now obviously that's not true because you it's so much more complicated to make the games work with an SD a new SDK but it would be interesting to know what would run and what wouldn't what would work and what wouldn't and obviously Shovel Knight's way too pretty I think Shovel Knight would run fine on a 16-bit console though I I don't think that that would be an issue at all I think it would run totally fine and have the access to the appropriate colors and stuff but certainly the color palette itself was not not available on NES so that that alone should indicate you know it's too it is too sharp it's too HD and
1: yeah I agree and they said they t- they they said it was close but they went like a, an additional 4 6 or 8 colors like they didn't go too far beyond. I think the same thing with the music capabilities like they used the proxy of the Famicom sound chip which was which was an enhanced sound chip over what we had in North America mm. with the NES. But by and by it was pretty close to what could have been done. Back then which is really which is really cool. Kyle, I'll say this, man. This is a big mm. statement, but I, I yeah. thought about this and I wrote this early on. This game, even more so than any of the amazing games we've talked about on knockback over the past almost four years now, I would say for me, it's the most essential one to play, especially if you haven't yet, because talk about Yacht Club and wanting to see them do something new. This all feeds into this. It's one of the ultimate examples, Shovel Knight is, of a video game in the video game world, For again, for myself, where it's executing on a very specific vision and delivering an experience that is so thoroughly inspired and at the same time creative. And of course, the thing, the product that that comes out of that is so brilliant and memorable and indicative of that vision. It's a very rare, not only in video games, in movies, television, music, art, anything you could think of, it's very rare that a product or the end result could hold up and reflect that strong of a vision. Doesn't usually happen. Usually it's something diluted, something watered down, something that's a product of too many cooks in the kitchen. But this is like the opposite of that. And I think that's why we're still talking about it. And I was so excited to you know, have a conversation with you today. Besides the send-ups and the nods and everything like that, that it pays homage to, it's just something so, it feels like the next logical iteration of those things. And I don't think there's too many things that are that successful at that. You know what I mean? That, that do it to such an, an, we saw it with things like Cuphead, which is a different conversation because it's a different type of game. But I think that's why it's so exciting to see what Yacht Club's going to do next. And that we, you know, I feel like I've been waiting on tinter hooks with bated breath for so long now, even though it hasn't really been as long as it feels like, because this is such a special, such a special game.
0: I agree. I think it's the cliche of the love letter. I know it's overwrought, but this game is something special for people that grew up with the NES and clearly Dagan's son is evidence that you don't need that education to get into the game although he was did have that education too I'm really curious yeah if you are totally divorced from those games what you would get out of Shovel Knight my assumption is that you would still find a really wonderful game that would hopefully convince you to go back and see all the things you missed because it's certainly emblematic of those things sure and uh, it's a wonderful game it's available everywhere people should go play it if you have a modern console of any type you can uh go get it there so xbox 360 xbox one uh, ps4 ps3 ps vita uh, wii u 3ds it's on amazon fire tv it's i think in, in oh, a bunch wow. you know, obviously on pc so definitely go and play it if you haven't already i really hope you do good shit uh digging let's end as we always do with the dad joke i kick it over to you
1: all right my friend carl did i ever tell you about my old job at the bicycle wheel factory no. I was yeah I was the spokesman
0: <laughs> I was thinking about it and I was like oh no that was good I, that's a good one not bad that's, that's
1: from our old pal James Ketchum longtime listener maybe watcher I don't know
0: yeah who the hell knows what he does
1: cool. <laughs> it's none of our appreciate business
0: that. no it's not my business <laughs> all right well very good Dick. I appreciate your time today and I appreciate everyone for their time their love and their support of all things knockback and last day media we appreciate you we'll see you next time for more until then goodbye goodbye Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC, and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SL the FMA, Jorge Palmino, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parricks, Henry Groth, Joshua Rids, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacio, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Allen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Mike. Michael Buffel, Troyless True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Norman, Nuke Dukem, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalik Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Tronz, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadeth, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti and Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ali. Fritz, Derek O, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelich, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algarit, Richard Hebert Third, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzech, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finker, Lewin Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershaw, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrero, Lennon Brixie, James Kinslow III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vazquez Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Holliger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David I- Colucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mach Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.